That's the problem that we are having in the 21st century. We still believe in white folks. White folks are actors. You can be sitting in front of your television, tears running down your face, and you know the cracker is acting on the screen. I saw the devil stand up in the courtroom and say, this is a tragedy, not a crime. I saw another beast come up and say, Officer so-and-so, when he realized that this tragedy had happened, he ran to him and he said, please don't die. Please don't die because my ass might go to prison for life. Please don't die. Some of you were touched by the devil saying, it's a tragedy. It's a terrible mistake. It's a tragedy and not a crime. I'm here tonight to tell you that it's a tragic crime. It's a tragedy and it's a crime and it's a tragic crime. The white man chooses who he wants to cover. Some Negroes are more acceptable than other Negroes. You don't help a black revolutionary promote a black power, black revolutionary movement. The white man ain't crazy. You give the people a softer alternative and you make them think that's what you should be doing. You say, well, we can't just do nothing. I don't say stop doing some of the things that you're doing, but you must be doing something else other than that. Didn't you do it for everybody that I named and some of the others who were murdered that I didn't name? Did you get any better results? Come on, brothers and sisters. The time is now for us to stand up on the legacy of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey, to stand up on the legacy of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Habibi Fahodier, this is the African Liberation Media Podcast. Those were the strong words of the great ancestor, Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad. Words that still reign true even to this day and still are relevant. We can play those words right now and think about some of the things that we're seeing right now in the media as it pertains to cases dealing with police brutality. As he talked about, we as African people are failing ourselves. Failing ourselves because we still believe in the white man. <laughs> we still believe that somewhere down inside of the white man's heart, there's a good person inside of him or her. And this is why you saw the judge hug Amber Geiger. This is the mentality of a people that are truly still enslaved, not physically, but mentally. And we're gonna talk about that in depth tonight as we discuss some of the ridiculous things that we're seeing and how it's affecting us and how this is menacide, truly menacide. So tonight we have in the studio, myself, brother Amos. We're missing Gullah Jack, but we know he's here in spirit. We also have to my right, 
Baba Makaru. And we also have on the show for the first time one of our researchers who puts in a lot of work in helping us to come up with a lot of the information that we publish, especially on African Liberation Media, Sister Tahir. How you doing tonight, Sister Tahir? I'm great. How you doing? Good, good. So I'm going to start with you, Baba Makaru. I know that you've seen a lot over the years, but have you ever seen something like what took place this week? No, sir, I have not, and I think there's a reason why I haven't seen it. It, it because it's never happened before. This, the the events in the uh, Dallas courtroom, black judge Tammy Kemp. I guess when you got a black person named Tammy, I mean you can expect about <laughs> anything, right? I don't, Tammy Faye, I mean whoever, but uh, it's just uh, it was. It was incredible in one sense, and, and, and in another sense, I think it was very instructive for our people who are still, you know, walking around under the illusion that simply by replacing white faces with black faces, you know, something changes, and, and it doesn't, uh, you know, white supremacy is more insidious when it's carried out by people with melanin. What we're referring to, of course, here is the situation uh, in the uh, trial of a Dallas police officer by the name of Amber Geiger. I think she was uh, 31 years old. She killed a brother, both of Jean in, uh, in Dallas, brother sitting in his, in, apartment, in his apartment eating ice cream in his uh, just casual loungewear, and for whatever reason, his door was partially cracked, and she walked in, and she claims she thought she was in her apartment, and he was an intruder, and uh, she proceeded to uh, shoot him. She's a police officer. She had just gotten off duty. She was still in uniform, and they composed the jury of uh, five people of African descent, five Hispanics, two white people, and one Asian. And a lot of people thought, well, with a jury like that, not, no, that's too many. Five, five, five blacks, four Hispanics, 12, right? Um, so they thought there was a good chance that uh, we, would, we would see some justice. They did deliver a, a conviction on a, a murder count, and I, I, I really, for a state that executes as many people as Texas, Texas executes many people on, on capital punishment, uh, more people than any other state in the United States. Uh, they said that um, she could get uh, anywhere from five years to life. Uh, to hear an hour just shaking her head, saying, How could that possibly be? And so uh, the jury tried to be as lenient as possible, and they gave her, they gave her ten years. Initially, they had said the charge carried no possibility of parole, but magically that changed, uh, and she'll be, uh, she can have a first uh, parole hearing or 
probation hearing in uh, in five years. So this this is incredible. When the on the day that the conviction was announced, because convictions of uh, white police officers who kill people of African descent, uh, th these convictions are very rare, less than one percent, and um, a lot of people were overjoyed that they got the conviction. And the uh, the attorney for the family, Lee Merritt, made a statement that uh, we thought was incredulous when he when he when he made it. So you know we we posted a warning on Facebook. You know, slow your roll, brother Merritt. Uh, shortly going to hear from the family, and, and they just want to thank this community. They want to thank the people of Dallas County. Uh, they want to thank this jury uh, for taking their time, hearing the evidence, and getting it right. Uh, we still have the sentencing phase to go, but this is a huge victory, not only for the family of both Jean, but as, as his mother, Allison, told me a moment ago, this is a, a victory for black people in America. Uh, it's, it's a signal that the, the tide is going to change here. Police officers are going to begin to be held accountable for their actions, and we believe that that will begin to change policing culture all over the world. <laughs> you know, we were just astounded that uh, this this highly intelligent brother, a, a dynamic lawyer, really, uh, Lee Merritt. Lee Merritt is is at the top of his uh, profession. Uh, in in our opinion, and uh, we 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 were just astounded that he he would make a statement like that based on what? Not even you know, not even anecdotal evidence of um, that 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 there's been a sea change in terms of ju in terms of justice. Uh, so what we said was, after Brother Merritt made the statement, we posted on our Facebook page on October the second. Slow your roll, Brother Merritt. Number one, we need to see a just sentence from the jury. There's nothing on the American political landscape to suggest a paradigm shift towards justice for Africans in the U.S. A rare, isolated victory is great, but it needs to be contextualized. And three, the rule of law in the U.S. is determined by who rules, that is, who has power. And at this point in history, there, there's no counterbalancing power dynamic to the white supremacist oligarchy of the United States that will require a mass, a massive global struggle. So he's he's saying that just based on this this one decision, that uh, it was it is going to be um, this change, you know, among you know the way police officers are going to respond, jurors are going to respond, and then what happened the very the very next day, the very next day the jury came back, and. Uh, out of the options that that were given uh, to them, they decided that um, the life of uh, Brother Jean was worth no more, no more than 10 years in prison with the option of uh, coming up for parole, you know, after five years. And one, one, one of the most amazing things that happened when the jury was given their destruct and their instructions, I should destruction is right. Their instructions on um, how to, to 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 make their decision. The state asked the jury to sentence Geiger to a minimum of twenty eight years. Judge Tammy Kemp ruled that the jury could consider a sudden passion defense, 
which could reduce the sentence to two years. Now, here's a black judge sitting on the bench. And the jury, the jury was already considering five years to 99 years to life. And she wanted to reduce that down to giving the jury the option of only giving this lady two years. Mm. 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 Now, the jury probably known, probably knew that there would have been a riot in Dallas and maybe other places had they given her two years. So, you know, they, they, they cut a deal amongst themselves and, 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 and gave her 10 years. But, one of the things that this shows is all of the obstacles that we face in this law enforcement system. Because first of the, the first problem is that you you dependent on people who are tied to law enforcement to do an investigation investigate and come up with the evidence prosecutors who are dependent on police officers and investigators to convict people and then you have the judges and the juries and the odds of getting through all of that without somebody or several people as was the case with the the brothers up in uh, in in Harlem with the Central Park case, the odds of getting through all of that without having somebody or some group or several people influenced by white supremacy are slim to none. But the, but the, but those are all the obstacles we have to go through, uh, you know, just to get what should be what should be absolute a clear cut case where this person deserved a sentence of severe sentence of at least life in prison, particularly when you consider, when you consider that in this country, in 2013, in 2013, there were over 3,200 people in the United States, that's 3,200 serving life without parole for nonviolent offenses, most of them involving drugs. And of those people, 65% of them are, are people of African descent, 16% are Hispanic, and 18% are white. So, I mean, you know, this is totally disproportionate to the uh, demographics of the country where people of African descent are no more than 15% of the population, 12 to 15% of the population. And, but you have people, you have people serving life without parole and they, they committed no violent act. And here's a person who kills somebody, kills somebody. And they could, they could spend no more than five years and the judge wanted to only give them two. Yeah, I want to speak on what Brother Merritt said, the lawyer about this being a victory for a major victory for black people. So, Robert Marker, you played basketball, right? When you was growing up, you played basketball? I did. You ever shot a free throw and 
the referee said it's no good because your foot stepped on the line. Yes. Yep. When I look at this situation, we can say technically, again, technically, that Amber Geiger was a police officer, right? Mm-hmm. But when the crime happened, she was off duty. She was off duty. So one of the things that you have to look at as a reason to her conviction and why she wasn't able to use the normal tactic that police officers use when they say, I fear for my life. Right. Was because she was off duty at the time. Mm-hmm. So at the time that the crime was committed, technically, she wasn't a police officer. That was her career. But when she walked into his apartment and shot him, she was a civilian. Mm-hmm. And under those circumstances, she got convicted for murder because they couldn't use the blue wall of security to protect her. Right. Even though they tried, it was easier for them to legally convict her. And if you go back and look at a lot of cases dealing with off-duty police officers, look at how many get convicted. Mm. I'll give you an example. The case, I believe it might have been 1992 or 93, or it might have been 94. I can't remember the exact year. But when Tupac Shakur was in Atlanta and he shot those two off-duty police officers, mm-hmm. he got off because they had stolen evidence from an evidence locker and they were using that evidence at the time when Tupac actually shot at them Mm -hmm. when they were actually apprehending somebody on the side of the street. Okay. So they use that technicality of them not only being off duty, but also having illegal evidence in their possession. Tupac's lawyers used that as a way for him to get off for for shooting those police officers. Mm -hmm. So here you have a situation where this woman was off duty. She walked into somebody else's apartment shot and killed the person in their apartment, Mm -hmm. it's no way that they can get off of that. Hmm. So that's not a victory. That's just a happen of circumstance. Okay. And that's how we have to look at it. Right. People always say, you know, it's an exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. You always want to have an exception to the rule. Right. But that doesn't necessarily say that this is a victory. This isn't the first police officer that's been convicted for killing a black person. Right. So... This isn't a major milestone. And and this is why I know we can go into some of the some of the, the, the uh responses from the jurors, but this is why we as black people, African people, have to do like Dr. Clark said, we have to stop being so symbolic. <laughs> we try to put something a symbolic meaning behind everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we all say, oh, that's deep. That brother is, or that sister is so deep. Mm -hmm. We try to find a deeper meaning or a deeper understanding to a lot of things that are just clear cut on the surface. Mm -hmm. And and this is something that it it hurts us because when we look at situations, instead of being able to use our logical mind, Mm -hmm. we fall back onto our emotional hearts looking for this, the, the the symbolic meaning behind something. Mm-hmm. So in this case, this lawyer is saying, you know, and, and the family is saying that this is a victory for black people because when you say that, it feels good. You feel like, okay, we are making progress. Mm-hmm. 
But in, re- in reality, there is no progress. It's going to be another black man that's going to be killed tomorrow. And it's going to be another black man or woman that's going to be killed the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. And it's not going to stop just because you convict one, two, or three police officers. The, the total system has to be destroyed. Yeah, it, 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 the statement, you know, for a highly intelligent person, it just um, didn't make a lot of sense. But the situation got very bizarre very 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 bizarre you know after the uh you know the 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 guilty uh plea you know the guilty uh charge was 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 handed down we saw some things in the courtroom uh, from the uh primarily from the family of the deceased that um it really is an indication of of, of several things that, uh, that that have been affecting us, people of African descent, um, you know, since the beginning, at least since the beginning of chattel slavery. Mm. And one of those things was the um, the statement and the interaction uh, between um, the brother of uh, Brother Jean and the judge and the killer. And so we titled this post, um, Mass Confusion About Forgiveness and Identity with the Killer. Now, at the very top of our page, uh, Brother Amos has posted this. um, There's a video. Everybody should go back and look at this video. It's a video by Dr. Asa Grant Hilliard, one of our Baba, Baba before one of our most esteemed ancestors and one of the most brilliant scholars the African world has ever produced. Had a chance to l- listen to him speak many times, talk to him, just a brother that you could just walk up to and talk to just like you might somebody on the street, always very accommodating and ready to drop a wealth of knowledge. And he's talk- he was talking about the Stockholm Syndrome, which is uh, something that emerged where, where people actually when under under severe captivity and oppression, people begin to identify with the people who are holding them in captivity, holding them under oppression. Of course, Franz Fanon dealt with that more on the you know from a perspective of how it affects an entire population, you know, under colonialism. And so we said mass confusion about forgiveness and identity with the killer. We saw this from family members of the Charleston Nine forgiving mass murderer Dylan Roof who never did or ever will express any contrition, much less repentance. However, young Gotham, Jean, goes beyond a flawed concept of forgiveness to actually identify with the killer of his brother. He said, I forgive you. And I know that if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I'm speaking for myself. I'm I'm not even on behalf of my family, but I love you. Now, this is what he's saying to the killer. This, this person killed his brother in cold blood. But I love you just like anyone else. Who do you love? And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I personally want the best for you. And I wasn't going to say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. Mm. 
I want the best for you, and I don't know if it's possible, but can I just give you a hug, please? So, I mean, that was his, um, he was talking to uh, both the, the killer and the and the judge, and in one of the most bizarre scenes, and it gets even more bizarre after this, you ever ever seen in a courtroom, the judge granted him permission to go over and hug the person who executed his brother. She was judge, jury, and execution, and this brother hadn't even committed a crime. It was a lynching. It was it, it actually was a lynching because a lynching is an extrajudicial killing, not just a hanging. And uh, we went on to say about this, certainly there is confusion about the concept and practice of forgiveness, but all theologians agree that repentance precedes forgiveness. Now, we're talking here about, more, about the Christian theologians because that's, that's not the way it worked in uh, ancient Kemet under Ma'at. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but even the Christian theologians say that repentance, they don't all agree on what repentance is, but in the case of, I'm going to mess this name up, it's a Jewish name, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus or somebody. Anyway, there's a parable about this, this corrupt tax collector uh, in, in one of the uh, Gospels. Repentance took the form of reparations, repaying those he had robbed fourfold. You know, he was talking to Jesus and he said, I, you know, I, I admit that I'm wrong and, and, and I'll, I'll repay the people. Whatever I took from him, I give them four times back. So it was actually a form of reparations. One Christian theologian says when one is guilty of various sins, he must confess in what way he has sinned in order to receive atonement and forgiveness. Thus confession belongs to repentance and is needed for divine forgiveness. So this killer, this killer never confessed anything. She proclaimed her innocence and she will surely appeal her conviction. There has been no confession or repentance, but this confused young man has leaped over those prerequisites all the way to forgiveness. This is why we say a lot of people, I'm, I, I'm not associated with any of the world's organized or institutionalized religions. I try to practice spirituality. I believe in religious tolerance. I believe people have a right to worship the supreme being in whatever context they choose. I choose to try to return as close to the source uh, of what our ancestors practice in the Nile Valley as, as I possibly can. But a, a lot of these people who claim to be part of this religion don't even understand it themselves. I mean, they, they've, they've just taken fragments of it. I mean, and, 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 and they apply that. So, I mean, that, that, that was, I guess you might call bizarre number one. And here I know you had some thoughts on that when you saw it. <clears throat> yeah, I I don't understand. I can't wrap my head around uh, how you forgive someone that's not contrite. Um, I know on my Facebook I saw a lot of people saying, you know, you can't um, you can't comment on how someone grieves or you know. And um, I do respect that, but I don't know again how you forgive someone that's not sorry. And like you said, she will appeal. Um, which means that she's not sorry. Uh, I don't. I didn't see any remorse. 
um, you know, throughout the trial. Her actions right after the murder didn't, you know, indicate she had any remorse um, for her actions. So, um, interesting coincidence, this evening when I turned the TV on, there was, um, I think Kevin Durant has a show on FS1, Q-Ball. Remember I was telling you about it? Mm -hmm. And... um, happened to turn the TV on right when uh, there was a mother who was speaking on her son. I think his name was Tim. Apparently he was um, murdered and... Um, she was a white woman. A white woman, yes. Mm-hmm. And and the, uh, the guy that murdered her um, was he in San, San Quentin? Mm-hmm. And uh, he was coming up for parole. A black man. Uh, well, he I think he might have been Hispanic, Hispanic? but again, I, okay. I caught it in the middle. This okay. is just a coincidence that I caught it where I did. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was saying um, that she she doesn't know how she feels about him getting out and basically being able to live and do all of the things that her son is not allowed uh, alive to do. And uh, again, uh, just I keep using this word. It was just a coincidence. She said the last thing she said that you know. Uh, she didn't know how she felt about her son being able to hug, you know, her son, her son not being alive to hug, but the her, his killer is. And it was just an interesting coincidence that, you know, uh, with the John uh, conviction, uh, you know, Amber Geiger conviction, that, you know, the hug was the big, uh, you know, was what everybody is... Uh, you know, focused on the hug between um, the judge and um, Botham's uh, brother. And um, moving on in the show, there was a guy, a black guy, who is serving uh, 25 years to life and uh, for simply uh, possessing a weapon. And... um, of course, he he was a felon, but he wasn't. You know, when they when they uh, arrested him, he wasn't in the uh, act of committing a crime or anything like that. But he was getting twenty five years for just having a gun, and uh, he he will serve more time than Amber Amber will. And even if you go back to uh, Khalif Browder, who spent three years in in Rikers Island for uh, uh-huh. for stealing a book bag that he didn't steal. He didn't steal. <laughs> so he could potentially he will have potentially served more time than Amber. He, he could so if she you know gets off on appeal or he could have served more time um, than than she will. And the psychological toll that it took on Khalif to make him commit suicide took his life. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, something else. Almost. Uh, what, what, what did you What did you think when you saw that? I mean, I I know you had to be. <laughs> just. And it, it it really was hard to stomach because, like you said, it was. It was almost like a uh, a domino effect. Like I first first I saw the brother, hugging the uh, the killer, then later I saw the judge, hugging the killer. Then the father comes out and makes a statement about how he also, you know, forgives the killer. And wanted and, and wanted the hugger. He wanted to do the same thing. Right. Right. And like 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 college said in the comments that we played, these people are actors. Mm-hmm. This lady even went so far to dye her hair for the case to try to look more Hispanic. Mm-hmm. So that People wouldn't look at her as, 
you know, a white woman killing a black man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anything that she can do to make herself look more innocent so that she can possibly get off. And as you just stated, she's going to appeal. And in her appeal, the, 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 the jurors or the people who have to hear this appeal are going to take into consideration what happened with this in, with this interaction. Oh, absolutely. They're going to feel like the family has already received restitution, so why should we punish this, this girl for 10 years when they don't feel like she should be in prison? So why should we put her in prison? Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And if this is one of the things where um, when you talk about softening the blow, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the fact that there might have been riots in Dallas because of the outcome of the situation. Well, now, when people see this, it's, it's like, this isn't even my family member, and I'm upset. But when I see somebody do something like this, it makes me almost feel like, and this is going to be controversial, but he was a Negro that had to, that had to die. Mm. Because it's Negroes like that that we don't need. Mm. We don't need... And I know a lot of people are going to get offended by me saying this. Mm-hmm. They will be. But we don't need people like that in this fight because they're only going to bring us down. Negroes like his brother are only going to, he should have been right there in the apartment with, with him. It's yeah, sad to say, but it's true. He should have been right there in that apartment with him. And Ted Cruz, the governor of Texas, came out and said that this is a, a great example of Christian love. When have you ever seen whites show Christian love? Never. When the family of uh, the white woman who was killed by Muhammad Noor, when they uh, spoke, they talked about him serving his sentence, that they wanted him to pay for what he did, mm-hmm. and they said that they would never be able to forgive. Go back and look it up. They said they would never be able to forgive him for for taking the life of that white Australian woman. Mm-hmm. And he got sentenced to 12 years in prison. Right. So it shows you the difference in the mentality. It's not even a balance. And see, this is one of the things that Bookman saw when he said throw away the image of the white guy because he saw the effect that it has on the African mind, and the sad thing about it is people actually believe that this is our history. They believe that our history is a history of forgiveness, and mm. it's not. Right. Like you talked about my art and, 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 and that not being how my art works. One of the virtues of my art is reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So anybody that practices reciprocity knows that you can't just forgive somebody. There has to be a... Um, a consequence for your actions. There's a process. Right. It has to be a consequence and you can't be so soft hearted in in, in in thinking that, you know, her quote unquote rotting in prison as she should is a harsh consequence for her to pay for taking somebody's life that's no longer here. This person is never going to speak again, talk to his family members again, be able to interact with anybody again because of her actions. Right. So essentially in my book, she should get the same punishment that she that 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 she delivered to him. She would under my art. So so I I, I do want to go there, but I want to deal I want and I want to deal with it within the context of 
of the father, you know, so we, we published a published a post that said, like father, like son. The father, this this is the father talking. Uh, his name is Bertram Jean. This is uh, Botham's father. I felt the same way as Brant. Brant is the brother. I wish I could have extended that same courtesy. Courtesy. Cur this guy, this guy is talking about the fact that his son, 18-year-old son, went over and hugged this woman, was extending a courtesy to someone that killed your son. Mm. I don't want to see her rot in hell. I don't want to see her rot in prison. So I took about four deep breaths to keep from uh, <laughs> uh, going uh, West Boulevard with my language. Uh, and I wrote, the Negro Christian demonstrates the most appalling misinterpretation of forgiveness, not even knowing their Bible. Those of us who are not Christians are free to challenge the command that all sins can be forgiven. This is from Matthew 12, 21. This is supposedly Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. A mass murderer like Dylan Ruth can be forgiven if he is not blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Thus the response of some family members of the Charleston Nine. Because, because they have been taught that all sins can be forgiven. The only thing that can't be forgiven is, is if you blaspheme uh, against the Holy Spirit, what, 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 whatever that is. Okay. Under the concept of reciprocity from ancient Kemet, there is no way taking human lives under such conditions can be forgiven. And I'm quoting here from uh, uh, Dr. Maulana Karinga's uh, extensive study called Ma'at, The Moral Ideal in Ancient Kemet, a study in classical African ethics. And I can read some more things from that in just a minute. Um, so the law of reciprocity ensured that what is done to or for others will be done to or for you. So in other words, if you commit an egregious crime, then you will be duly punished. And, and, you, know, and you know what's interesting about this whole forgiveness thing is that I've seen black people forgive um police officers i've seen them forgive um murderers mm -hmm. white murderers right i've seen them forgive white mass murderers mm -hmm. i've even seen them forgive white rapists right but that same forgiveness seems to be exempt from another black person it doesn't apply so if a black person it doesn't apply if a if a sixteen year old black male walked into that house and shot uh Botham down, would his family have forgiven the brother? Well well <laughs> Well Or would they would they have said he's see this is this goes back into the psyche of how you see 
the person in front of you. Do you see that person as God? And see, Botham said himself that he was motivated to do this is because this is what Jesus would have done. What Jesus would have done. So, honestly, they probably see Amber Geiger as a relative of Jesus. Yeah. So you have to forgive the master. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mary Magdalene or somebody. They feel like they, they, he feels like he would have harmed her. They would be hard on her if he wouldn't have extended a courtesy. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, th this is, this is a, a clear example of, of, of Dr. Hilliard said that mental slavery is invisible violence. And, uh, you know, I took that statement and added, and added these words. But that invisible violence has physical and mental manifestations. So when, when, when people have been severely psychologically damaged, you can see the examples of that, particularly when, you, when we have been taught all our lives that a black life essentially has no value Mm -hmm. And we will take a black life so quick. I mean, just like in a, in a split second, Nipsey Hussle, we can name just over what? Mm -hmm. Forgiveness. Look, Nelson Mandela could forgive the white supremacists of South Africa, but he couldn't forgive his wife for rumors. Mm -hmm. and, he, and at the same time, like you just said, if the consequences for killing a black person, a black person killing a black person, there's usually some revenge involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's going to be somebody that's going to retaliate and mm -hmm. it's going to normally go back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. How many game bakers, how many drug dealers watch their homies get gunned down by the police? And do nothing. And do nothing about it. Do nothing. You know, you have to have somebody like Micah. Johnson or somebody, you know, I mean, that uh, uh, Russell Maroon Schultz. Right. You know, uh, so so what so what we said, you know, is that uh, re regarding regarding this mentality. So so we were talk we were talking about the ethics of Ma'at and the concept of reciprocity, uh, you know, which is the basis uh, for the golden rule, the golden rule, the so-called golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is taken directly out of the Maatian concept of reciprocity, right? You know, we we've documented that. Um, but what we said about about the Maatian ethics is this: those were the type of ethics which allowed African people to walk the earth as free, proud, productive, prosperous, and powerful people for over three thousand years. Now, in this state of 500 plus years of powerlessness, we have this convoluted thinking which tells us to forgive a mass murderer and a killer cop. Mm. So, so the ethics of Ma'at, which, which African people live by, and I, 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 I could read some things out of the book, but since we, the time is running, I mean, he, Doc, Dr. Karenga really has some, some, some great examples. Do we have the statements from the jurors? We got that, and we and 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 and, that, and that's what that's where we're going next. Uh, so, so I mean, uh, but 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 the point I wanted to make was this: for for all 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 of our brothers and sisters out there, 
uh, that you know have accepted other other forms. When African people walk the earth as free, proud, productive, prosperous, and powerful people, we practice traditional African spirituality and traditional African ethics, with my art being the basis for those ethics. Truth, justice, harmony, propriety, reciprocity, balance, and order. Those are the seven virtues, but when you put them all together, it equals righteousness. And the, a person was taught from the cradle to try to live your life according to these ethics. Now, that's not to say that ancient Kemet has, didn't have periods of turmoil. Brother Amos is an African-centered scholar who specializes in Nile Valley civilizations, and he has taught us on numerous occasions about the various periods with, 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 where people strayed from this and we had turmoil. But overall, overall, from the beginning to the end, 3,000 years, we had a process by which we live by that worked. So that, that's the point that, that I want to make here. And, I'm, and, you know, we're not preaching and we're not, we, we're not proselytizing, but, but the, the, the reality is, is just the reality. Now, as if, I mean, okay, so we, we, it's like somebody was throwing, you know, hand grenades or cluster bombs at us. You know, from one thing after another, and then and then we got this this thing uh, when when two jurors spoke about how they made their decisions. Yeah, Cecilia, these two jurors gave us a glimpse of what it was like inside that jury room as they made this difficult decision, and they told me there were sleepless nights and a lot of tears. I think that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. This morning, two of the jurors who found former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger guilty of murdering Botham Jean are speaking out. There's no way we can ever know what he would want, but I think we all had to make a decision that we could live with and that our conscience could be sound with. The diverse jury made up of eight women and four men, all of varying ethnicities, sentenced Amber Geiger to 10 years behind bars. These jurors telling us the decision was not an easy one. There was a lot of crying. A lot of crying. When we were told to go decide between five and life, that was like, we didn't have words. Prosecutors were asking for 28 years. They were. Um, you all landed at 10. After hearing about how his family talked about him, he seemed like just the light in their lives and he was kind and just forgiving. caring and forgiving and I, I said I told everyone I was like I'm really having a hard time with this because we all agree that it was a mistake and I don't think I, th I don't think Bo would want to take harsh vengeance I think he would want to forgive her and I felt I didn't feel like I had any right to speak for him and he isn't there to talk for himself but listening to how people talked about him, I felt like he would forgive her. They asked for 28 years, and I'm going to be honest and, and true. I was like, I can't give her 28 years. I know a lot of people are not happy about the 10 years, but I felt like, you know, for this case was not like any other case. You can't compare this case to any of those other officers killing unarmed black men. Those officers that kill unarmed black men, when they got out, they went back to living their lives. Amber Geiger, ever since she killed that man, she has not been the same. 
she showed remorse in that she's going to have to deal with that for the rest of her life. Can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? It was this moment of grace and forgiveness to Geiger from Jean's brother, Brandt, that has the jurors convinced they made the right decision. We found out this morning about what his brother did, and it kind of it kind of helped us uh, feel like we ended up with the right decision. One thing that Batum can teach us all is that we should all love each other instead of hate each other. And I, and I honestly think that if Batum would have just got shot and not killed, I think he would have forgiven Amber Geiger. And there was such a strong reaction to what Bo's brother um, did on the stand. In, in fact, John's sister, Alyssa, released a moving statement online saying, in part, what Brant did, I, I truly admire. I pray every day to get to the point of forgiveness, and he is already there. Go ahead, because I'm, because I'll, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, a few things when I saw the video. Uh, as you said, that uh, they were some actors, the, I mean, it was acting from beginning to end. Um, even in the interview, they have on tops that are the same, the exact same color. Um, the uh, the the white male juror calling uh, Botham Bo Is as if they were friends and they boys. knew each other, yeah. and he knew how uh, you know <laughs> what Botham would would want from from the case. Uh, it's just when I saw the picture, I was like, "This is a Hollywood production," you know, same color top, um, and and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to punish this 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 lady, and um, and and then after you know after seeing the sheriff pet the woman's hair and you know um, make her look innocent, how how do you not convict her? Here it is, a black a black sheriff petting her hair, you know. Uh, how do you not feel sorry for her? But my main thing with with all of this, the judge, the the sheriff, the brother, you know, grieve how you want to grieve. You know, I, I can't tell you how I would grieve it if I were in that situation. But um, and, you know, the black jurors, the brown jurors is is bigger than Botham. You know, Botham is is deceased, and the whole world is looking at this. And if you have a black judge a black sheriff a black family black jurors who uh you know are acting this way to you know towards a murderer you know the the image that it's uh you know conveying to the the world is that black black life does not matter uh black people don't really want justice um you know how do you argue your way out of this when you have a, a predominantly, you know, majority, uh, a minority uh, jury? A, a jury a, of a, color. Yeah, a black judge, a black family that's so forgiving. It just, for me, you know, yes, the family is grieving, but at this point it's bigger than the family. And, and this whole thing, this whole, you know, it was orchestrated, but it, this whole thing is just tells us you know tells the world that we don't we don't want justice and see that's why we need you on the show more often because you brought up some very valid points because that that was my first time even hearing this audio i didn't get a chance to watch the video behind it but what did we just talk about 10 minutes ago on the show that when jurors see that the family is satisfied 
it makes it easier on them to go easier on the person that's guilty. <laughs> so you're doing a disservice to everyone by displaying this, this, in all honesty, sign of weakness. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. Displaying a sign of weakness to want to forgive this person. And then for the black, this sounded like a black woman. I couldn't see her face. She but, was, yeah. Mm -hmm. So for the black woman to say that this is different from all of the other cops. No, it's not. It's the same scenario. A white person sees a black man, they get trigger happy. They saw a they see a criminal. Right. And they don't value their life, so they take their life. Exactly. And they know that they're not gonna be punishment in ninety nine percent of the cases. If she thought she was walking into her apartment and it was a white woman in her apartment, she wouldn't have killed her. No way. If she thought she was walking to her apartment and it was a white man in her apartment, she would have gave him the benefit of the doubt before pulling the trigger. Put your hands up. Because she sees herself in that white male. That's right. But because she saw a, I can't even call him a black man, because she saw a Negro, she killed him because she didn't value, she didn't value his life. Right. And and the the, the, the most important thing that we have to take from this entire situation is that we have too many people within our own race that are mentally off <laughs> like seriously mentally off damaged well well we want to identify with someone who has just killed somebody in our own family someone who's just taken a family member's life we want to identify with this person and make them feel comfortable. What do they do that? <laughs> you want to make somebody who has perpetrated a crime feel comfortable. Weiss would never and have never. You'd never see Ron Goldman's family. <laughs> never do that to OJ. OJ, forget that. They would never. They, they still haven't forgiven OJ. They still hope that he rots in hell. Oh. And they're still taking him to the bank. Right. Yeah, yeah is, you know, it, we... <laughs> This is, uh, uh, we said that um, this is unprecedented. Yeah, what 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 we said we said on our Facebook page was this. After hearing these two jurors, compassion for the white woman killer outweighed justice for the murdered black man. Compassion for the white woman killer outweighed justice for the murdered black man. And Geiger should be given an Oscar, an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and every other acting award for her performance on the witness stand when she was up there crying crocodile tears. She suckered a whole lot of people into believing that she had some kind of remorse when she has absolutely no remorse. The, 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 the way, the, the concept of forgiveness that uh, has infected these people it is 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 in my opinion is like a drug addiction. It's like a, it's 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 like it's like being addicted to crack, or opioids, or methamphetamines, or or flacker or whatever. Because because what what they're what they're trying to do in reaching out to the person who has inflicted pain upon them because. At some point, they, they they had to suffer immense pain when when they realized that by all standards, uh, you know, a young man that uh, was just 
you know, living his life, uh, you know, trying, you know, I mean, they, I guess they were, they, they were obviously deeply involved in the church. He sung in the church. He, he worked a job. He lived his life. And they had to suffer. In order, in, in order, in, and so now, a year later, they're saying, well, the way, the way I'm going to cure myself is by identifying with the person that took the life of my loved one and, and, and I'm going to put myself in their shoes when it never happens in the reverse. They're, they're, the, the jurors, the grand jurors that heard the case against Timothy Loman, the police officer that gunned down 12-year-old Tamir Rice in less than two seconds, had no compassion for Tamir Rice. Why? Because as Brother Amos says, most of the people on that grand jury don't see themselves didn't see themselves in Tamir Rice. The grand jury that listened to people say that Mike Brown ran away, ran away, and then just stopped. And the police officer shot him because the, he said he started back walking towards him and he was reaching for something. You know, these unarmed black people are always reaching for some imaginary weapon. They don't have anything, but they're always <laughs> reaching for something. The grand jury that listened to that case against Darren Wilson, no compassion whatsoever for Michael Brown Jr., none. The case against George Zimmerman, the grand, the jury that listened to that case had no compassion for Trayvon Martin, not one ounce of compassion. Because why? They don't identify with people of African descent. They identify with Zimmerman. Uh -huh. They identify with Timothy Loman. They identify with uh, Darren Wilson. And so this is, this is how Michael Slager in North Charleston can shoot Walter Scott in the back as he's running away, and the jury can say that he was shooting in self-defense. But, but we have been so impacted by 500 years of powerlessness. Our minds have been so warped and so been so twisted and contorted and distorted and, and literally pummeled into a state of delusion and fantasy that we can somehow in the midst of all of this pain and suffering, see ourselves in the shoes of the person who caused the pain and suffering. That, in my opinion, is the ultimate sickness. The, uh, the I mean, the ultimate sickness that has that has that has uh, you know afflicted us as people, and we need some severe, you know, uh, therapy that has to come, has to come from, you know, people in the image of the Honorable Omawale Malcolm X and Khalid Abdul Muhammad and Fred Hampton and Russell Maroon Schultz and Asada Shakur and Thomas Sankara and Winnie Mandela and others. 
because these Negroes that are up in here preaching these sermons about forgiveness and whatnot, they are doing major damage, and we're seeing the results of it play out in, you know, courtrooms like what happened in Dallas. And I would even say, to add on to those strong words, I would say that this is, this is really a mental illness that should be classified by, I don't know, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, medical term yeah, or the, the name of the, uh, the organization, but it should be classified, this should be classified as a mental illness. We're running out of time, but mm -hmm. I want to tell a story. This is a true story. Um, when I was in fourth grade, and I'm not going to call the sister's name because, um, you know, this is, this is a real life story. Mm -hmm. I was in the cafeteria and I observed this sister. She had to be second grade or first grade, one of the two. Mm -hmm. And she, this is normal. This is, you know, breakfast time before we get ready to go to class. And she ran behind a trash can. She ran and she hid behind a trash can and she started crying. And um, I remember as a, as a child, I didn't understand or nobody really understood why she was, why she was crying, like the way she was crying. Mm -hmm. And um, later on that night, you know, I remember talking to my mom about it uh, because my mom knew um, a friend of our family who, you know, was a guardian. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom told me that she hid behind the trash can and she started crying because there was a janitor that worked in the school. And the janitor looked like one of her uncles that molested her. Mm. So in her mind, she ran behind that trash can because she felt like, I want to get as far away from this memory of pain as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And she did what naturally came to her, which was to separate herself from the situation. Mm -hmm. Even though this wasn't the actual perpetrator, right? It's just, but it's just somebody that resembled the mm -hmm. perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And yet, we as African people who have gone through that same pain for a longer period of time, in our minds feel like instead of getting away from the perpetrator, we feel like things will get better if we get closer to them. Right. Mm -hmm. If we integrate with them. Mm -hmm. If we can somehow become unified and assimilated with white people, then hopefully that pain will somehow go away. And to your point, that is a mental illness. This has been the African Liberation Media Podcast. You can follow us on social media at African Liberation Media. You can also tune into our podcast directly on our website, africaliberationmedia.com. And if you're on the go, you can also listen to it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. BB for Holdier. BB for Holdier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. 
If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.